Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to the Fighting Fields Phillies podcast. Been a long one, but uh, it's been a lot of fun as well. Um, it's good to feel wanted, you know. It's good to feel uh, wanted by the Phillies organization, by the fan base, by the city as well. Over the fastball. Yeah. Over the right center field. The first one of the Phillies uniform is a bomb into the second deck for Bryce Harper, and the Phillies lead it seven to four. Or, or that fastball. <laughs> Now it's time for some baseball talk on Fighting Phillies Podcast. Here's Rich Baxter bringing you the latest Phillies news, interviews, and analysis. Split the gap and go to the scoreboard. This should clear the bases. Bronco to second. It's a three-run bases clearing double. And the Phillies take a... Yes, Yes, indeedy. Just what the doctor ordered. And welcome aboard to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast. And that's a peppy intro I got going on in there into the uh, lead-up song here to Phillies Talk Podcast. little uh, background behind that initial music we heard. That was from an Instagram from Jake Arietta the day that the Phillies signed Bryce Harper. He released an Instagram, believe it or not, of him sweeping his... It uh, looked like his uh, kitchen in a set of uh, what I would consider to be, I would always call skivvies. And he released this onto uh, Instagram with this music in the background of him sweeping the floor. And I was like, that's got to be the backtrack of Philly's talk for at least a few issues. So I hope you enjoyed that music. Rich Baxter here, and I'm joined with my now good broadcast partner here, Mr. Matt Vesey. How you doing, Matt? Hey, Rich, how are you? All right, and we uh, were just talking before we started the show here. Phillies are in Chicago, and what a what a better city than to play baseball than Philadelphia, of course, but Chicago's got to be up there. You know, I'd like to get there. I actually have <clears throat> some friends of mine <clears throat> who are in the Windy City right now, and they uh, took in a White Sox game a few days ago, and then they took in two straight Cubs games. Uh, including, uh, I think, uh, the the opener of this series. So uh, I'd like to get there someday. It's a bucket list item. Yeah, I had the occasion uh, many years ago. I had some training I was attending out in Chicago, and I immediately jumped online and got Cubs tickets. I even forget who the Cubs were playing at the time, but uh, it was before 2000 rang in. I believe it was 99. And I'm telling you, you have to go to Wrigley. I know there's some must-haves with uh, baseball fans out there. But especially with us in the East Coast, I thought I walked into like a another dimension, actually, with baseball, with people. The people were so friendly. The uh, Not that we're not friendly in Philadelphia, but it was just a way different atmosphere uh, 
and you have to go there to experience it. So, uh, Phillies are in Chicago for a four-game series. And, Matt, you were telling me a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff with your coverage for philliesnation.com. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how that works behind the scenes? Yeah, well, <clears throat> we were talking about the, the frustration of uh, Tuesday night's loss. I believe it's what brought us into that conversation, Rich. And, uh, you know, we both felt that same frustration as the Cubbies walked off the Phillies last night in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the the responsibilities to cover the games at Phillies Nation are usually split three ways. We have a pregame coverage, and then we have the live tweeting of the game, and then we have a postgame story. So that's pretty much all 162 games. Maybe there's a you know, piece here and there that slips through. Somebody has a last-minute problem or whatever, and we can't get coverage. But... That's usually how it's whacked up, and it's very seldom that somebody has all three in one night, and I had all three last night, so I did the pregame story, and then I'm covering the game story, and uh, doing the live tweet, and as I'm preparing my post-game story, which is basically what happened during the game, and the Phillies are winning two to one. We're heading into the ninth. So between, I'd say that once they retired to side, uh, Nicasio got them out of the bottom of the eighth. I start prepping. I already had the body of the article with like who drove in what runs and when teams scored, a couple other highlights. So I'm heading into the top of the ninth. I'm starting to prep the the lead paragraph. You know, basically, basically says who won, what the score was what the team's records are after the game. And I'm prepping it for a two to one Phillies win. So it's all prepped up, you know, and we're going to the bottom of the ninth now, and I'm just going to wait for the last, the last uh, paragraph. And we, you know, of course my hope is I'm going to be writing how Juan Nicasio retired the Cubs uh, one, two, three, hopefully in the bottom of the ninth. <clears throat> as we all know, that didn't happen. Uh, as soon as he walks the leadoff batter, um, you know, I'm right away. We all know how that works with baseball. So I'm rolling my eyes when he walks the leadoff batter. And then, <laughs> then, uh, uh, we get the, the double, I think it was by Rizzo into the right mm-hmm. field corner. So, um, <clears throat> as soon as that, that happens, that was a beautiful hit, by the way, it just, it, it stayed up in the air. It seemed like forever. And what, at least from television, you're just watching it like, Oh no, that's a problem. It was. He, I mean, he ripped it, you know, and it, it was like almost, there was no doubt almost from the time he left the bat. Now, as soon as he hit it, you know, before it even landed, I'm actually sitting here watching it saying out loud to the television, you know, oh, here we go, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I just, I thought that was going to tie it right there. So when it was second and third, I thought, well, all right, we got, we got a, you know, we got a reason, you know, we got some chance here anyway. You never know what'll happen. Uh, and of course, we do. We know what happened when Baez came up. Uh, when he made that move, when Madden made that move to Javi Baez, I thought, "Oh yeah. God, this is this isn't a good sign. This kid's electric." No, and, and last uh, year, I just want to interrupt, interject yeah. into here. Last year, it seemed like um, Gabe Kapler, Phillies manager, was on a on a trigger hair trigger finger to pull a reliever at any time. After one guy got on base, you could almost bet 
that you would see Gabe Kapler coming out to take him out. He must have made five pitching changes per game last year in certain situations like that. And I was very surprised. I mean, I know the bullpen's used a lot, and that's what a bullpen's there for. But you got a guy, he didn't look sharp. He walked a batter. He didn't look good. He gave up the double. He didn't look good. When are you going to take him out? Why was it his game to lose last night? It kind of made me angry. Like, you know, here's Gabe Kapler. He used to be trigger finger Kapler come out there and and uh, remove the pitcher in a blink of an eye. And last night he does nothing. That's yeah, amazing. It, was, it was really frustrating to me, too. And the frustration began with me right from the start. I mean, as soon as the game resumed and Nicasio still on the mound. I, I one run game, bottom of the ninth. I'm expecting Hector Neris out there. He's been lights out since he came back last August and he's the closer and uh, he's not out there. I'm like, well, where's our closer who's been pitching great <clears throat> in a game like this against a, a, a premier team. You know, this is when we need him. And right. he wasn't out there. And then, you're hearing things and reading things in the aftermath that he wasn't available, which of course got me to look up why wasn't he available um, for a reasonable explanation, not the he's pitched three out of the last four days. So, I, I mean, I looked into the details of that and sure he pitched three out of the last four, but he threw 39 pitches. The, the guy threw 39 pitches. In a, in a game situation, in a pressurized situation, over four days, 39 pitches. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's some warm-ups, you know, that go into that, you know, but that it's to me, it's ridiculous. I mean, actually, I actually uh, put out on Twitter under Phillies Nation feed that Kent Tocalvi would be rolling over in his grave if he weren't still alive. Um, Tocalvi yeah. <laughs> used to throw, you know, 80, 90 games, you know, in his yeah. days in the late 80s for the Phillies. And I, I think just to interject as yeah. well, uh, the the bullpen, these guys don't have rubber arms. They're not overworked for the most part. They're going out for an inning or two. I mean, come on. There's no explanation as to why you can't run anybody from the bullpen out there on, on successive nights. And the Phillies really don't have the closer. I was watching the ESPN feed of the game, and it was like, yeah, it's closer by committee for the Phillies. They don't have a closer. Is that a big mistake from the Phillies in your eyes? No, I don't, I don't think it is a mistake, Rich, because I don't think it's true. They do have a closer. Hector Neris is the closer. If you look at the games where they believe he's available, <clears throat> Neris is the closer. Uh, the only time they don't use him to close is when they allegedly believe he's not available because of some workload that he threw the night before or in recent days. Then they'll... They'll go to Nishak or, or whatever, you know, as you say, closer by committee, you know, arm is available at that time. Um, but I, I, I think that's, a, you know, an error that they said there. You know, I think that's just a national media who doesn't really pay close attention to what the Kapler's uh, really been doing. Now, that said, you know, I, I just I think that the whole thing is. They'll never admit this, but I believe this all goes back to their analytics. And I'm not, you know, while I'm an old school guy, I'm an old head, <clears throat> I, I'm not averse to utilization of analytics to, to help the team. But I really believe that their anal it's more of an analytics department uh, 
problem, if you will call, if we can call it a problem, that is deciding when these relievers shouldn't be used. Um, probably it's in the end. It's, I'm sure it's Kapler's call in the end, but he's a believer in the analytics, and he's, he's in lockstep uh, with the analytics department, and so is the general manager. So, uh, so is Klintak. So, you know, this is a very analytics-based organization now, and they have a, uh, they bolstered that department over the last couple of years. They have a lot of people working there. They crunch a lot of numbers, and there are a lot of people who have to justify their existence. And I believe there are people who say, you know, well, this guy shouldn't pitch this many days over this amount of time or throw this many pitches over this amount of time to maximize his, you know, uh, uh, his, his uh, ability to perform for you and to successfully perform for you and to produce for you. So I believe that that goes a long way into the decision-making process in the end. And there's some some manner of push-button uh, management to it where Kapler looks down some list that they have pre-game uh, that the analytics department provides for him and says, uh, these guys are unavailable to you tonight unless there's some absolute end of the world, you know, emergency. And so they, that, that becomes their mantra. It becomes, Hey, he was unavailable tonight. He's, he's thrown three out of four days and they don't really give you well. So, so what if he's thrown, then make him throw four out of five days, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a two to one game against an elite team and you have them on the ropes in the bottom of the ninth and you're not using your best option. It's ridiculous, uh, frankly, Rich. And, uh, you know, get through that game and, and, and get the W and, you know, now their answer would be, well, what if you, we throw him and he, you know, blows the save. And then everybody says, well, the analytics guy said you shouldn't use them. Well, that's, you know, that's your job as the manager. You're not supposed to be push button following the numbers all the time. You're supposed to use your experience in the game to know who your best options are at the time. And I really believe that the, the analytics people believe in their heart that they'll be proven right over time, that it's all about odds with them and, and playing the numbers and that over 162 games, Okay, we'll we'll have games like this where our best option, quote, on paper won't be available because the numbers tell us not to. But if we listen to the numbers over 162 games, they'll get us where we need to be. And you know, they believe that, I believe, and I believe that Clentac and Kapler believe it. And believe in the numbers, and they're going to play those numbers. They're going to play those uh, those odds, if you will. They're going to play it out and see what happens. And you know, we we are all along for the ride. You know, we don't we don't really have a choice. So all we have to all we can hope is that over 162 games, uh, they're right about their numbers are right. Really, more than they're right, their numbers are right. Yeah, and the, so, the Casio, we'll Yeah, Nicasio really hasn't been. A closer, quote unquote. Um, looking at his stats right now, he only has um, nine saves in his whole MLB career, which goes uh, back many years. So he's not accustomed to the closer, quote unquote, role. And it was evident last night. I mean, 
A guy gets a walk on immediately. Most managers will come out. Okay. You know, it's two to one. You walked a guy, maybe you're not sharp, uh, whatever the reason, but nine times out of 10, a manager's prudency to come out and at least talk to the pitcher, you know, like, Hey, you know, make a mound visit, do something. Nothing was done. And that was really odd in my opinion. Yeah. I think, you know, it, you know, in their, to, to their defense, um, in looking at numbers, you know, I, I believe that, that Neris is their best option. In their defense, uh, Nicasio has been pitching really well, uh, probably for about two weeks now. He had been unscored upon in six straight outings. If you go back over his last, I think it's like 10 games, he hasn't given up an earned run in his before last night, he hadn't given yeah. up an earned run in his last 10 games, which was 11 innings. Uh, he had allowed eight hits in those 11 innings and had struck out 12 batters. So right. uh, Nicasio was pitching really well for about two weeks, again, over which he had allowed no earned runs. So right. I think that they were looking at it as, hey, you know, he didn't work really hard to get out of the 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 bottom of the eighth and he's been pitching lights out for us for two weeks now, hasn't given up an earned run. So let's get him out there for the bottom of the ninth. And hopefully he does what he's been doing for the last two weeks and we'll win this ball game. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't work out. You know, he, he didn't have it, as you say, he blew it. Um, and in the end, we're all, you know, we're, we're left scratching our heads. So I, it's, I think it's, it's frustrating. game. That's a game that the Phillies should win, though. Absolutely. They're up two to one. It was a hard fought game, but they just cannot nail down these victories most of the time, it seems, when they're in a close situation. Even when the run differential is higher than that, you never count the Phillies as winning a ball game, usually, if they're up five runs. Uh, you can't depend on that bullpen. Uh, I know they're probably, you can back up stats saying how good they've been, but. It just seems like you, you cannot count a Phillies win uh, with that bullpen hardly ever. It's like flipping a coin. Some nights they're good, sometimes they're bad. Uh, well, you know what it, it is, just... Rich? It's there have been a number of games. Like you know, like uh, I do believe in the in in the aspect of over 162 games, these things are going to happen, right? We all know the best teams in baseball are going to lose. 65 to 70 games every year. So these things are going to happen and they're going to happen a couple of times a week, you know, to every team. So it's frustrating when it happens to your team. And especially in a, in a town like Philly, uh, this is, this is a big baseball town, but it's also a, a massive football town and this city, many of the sports fans in the city live with a football, football mentality, which is, is where every game matters over 16 games. And you can't, you follow a baseball team the way you follow a football team where every game matters. You're going to go crazy because you're going to, you're going to lose seven out of every 16. If your team goes 90 and 70, they're going to be in the seriously in the playoff hunt. Um, yeah. That's nine wins. And seven losses every, every I'm just saying, I'm just so, saying it's tough to lose in that manner. Uh, 
And I have to I have to put the blame on Kapler for that. I, I blame nobody else. Nicasio, uh, you have pitching coaches watching. You have the manager. You got to get a feel for it. <laughs> he walks the first guy. That's a that's an alarm that that sounds at least a mound visit. If not, just pull him out. Give somebody else a chance. Close it out. Um, it's just in hindsight, it's always easier to say things like this, but those are textbook quote unquote type of moves by managers. Joe Madden's done it. Uh, Kapler was doing it too much last year. And now all of a sudden with this game, he, he, I don't know, glued to his seat in the dugout, but uh tough loss. As I'm with you, said. you, Rich, but you know, in the aftermath, they're saying that those guys weren't available. That's right. their defense. You know, so right. I, mean, I, <laughs> I don't, don't believe it. it. I, don't I don't believe buy it. it. <laughs> I believe somebody, you know, by avail by not available. What does that mean? Does that mean that Hector Neris went to Gabe Kapler and said, uh, uh, I, "I can't coach. I can't pitch tonight, coach." You know, does yeah. that mean that you know Nishek went to somebody and said, "I can't pitch tonight, coach." You know, does that mean Adam Morgan came out and said, "I can't pitch tonight, coach." Exactly. I doubt. I highly doubt that happened. And so that's. And is Kapler looking at that himself and saying, uh, yeah, these 20-some-year-old men, young men, in the prime of their athletic life, they can't go out there and throw an inning for me tonight. So, you know, I don't buy any of that. So that's why I believe this is very much an analytics thing where pregame, he's he's given something that says, you know, these three, four, two, whoever, number of pitchers, aren't available to you tonight. The, if you're going to use them, it's against our recommendation. That's the way that that's the way that this game has evolved to this point. And if that's the case, then how many arms did he have available to him last night? You know, he went to uh, Alvarez before that. He went to uh, the young guy, Edgar Garcia, before that. So definitely yeah, what actually, then, uh, you know, maybe only have to use two or three relieving. That's what they did. Who, you know, what if that game went 15 innings, 16 innings? Who were they going to go to then? You know, so uh, it's frustrating, and I don't buy the reasoning. And uh, you know, it's understandable when you say, you know, that's one they should have had. I agree with you. Yeah. Now I see. I'm going to put this out on the podcast. You liked a tweet just a half hour ago online on your. Uh, on your Twitter feed from John Heyman saying, I can think of a few teams that could use Craig Krim- Kimball. So <laughs> if the that Phillies he, ever yeah, signed Heyman, yep. him, what do you think of that? Um, you know, I'm for, at this point, I'm for it. Uh, everything is, I, I completely understand finance, budgeting, um, earmarking certain amount of dollars to a, a closer or a reliever, but let, let's look at, look at who this is. Uh, look at Kimbrel's record uh, without pulling it up because I, I don't even really need to. I just looked at it earlier today. The guy has something like he's pitched in something like eight big league seasons already, maybe nine big league seasons, uh, full seasons, not like some partial rookie year or whatever. And he has never spent significant time injured. He has never had a bad season. 
every single one of his seasons has been dominating. Um, in 2016, when he was with the Red Sox, he his ERA, I'm pulling it up now, was 3-4-0. That's by far the highest that his ERA ever was. Uh, otherwise, it's always been in the ones, maybe a couple of years, around two and a half. But uh, except for that one year where it was 340, and even that year when his ERA was that high, he still only allowed 28 hits that, in, that year in 53 innings. Uh, he had 83 strikeouts in 53 innings. So you know, what that tells me is that he just got hit, probably hit around uh, three or four times. But otherwise, his other, uh, let me see, that year he made uh, 57 appearances. So probably like 50 games, he was lights out that year. So, I mean, otherwise, this is a guy that goes out. He's gone out every single year of his career for 60 to 65 games in a couple couple of instances in the upper 60s, and he's dominated every single year like a machine. Uh, And that includes last year. Some people said, oh, his numbers last year. Uh, Well, he had a 1-4-3 ERA in 2017. He was was a monster. He struck out 126 in 69 innings. So you're not going to do that every year. Yeah, his stuff was down last year from the previous year, but that's because the previous year he was otherworldly. His numbers last year were still great. 2.74 ERA over 63 games. He only allowed 31 hits in 62 and a third innings. He struck out 96 batters. I mean, he was still dominant. We're not talking about an old guy. He's, he would be, he'll be pitching this year in his age 31 season. He turns 31, a week from yesterday. So if you sign him today, you'll, you'll get him when he's ready, you know, maybe take him two or three weeks to, to gear up, but it depends on how often he's been throwing and how, how uh, in shape he is. It might only take him a couple of weeks tops to get in. You'll have a 31 year old reliever. You're paying him for three years, say, because I believe that's what he wants. Say you're paying for three or four years. Then you're getting him from his age 31 to 33 seasons, maybe age 34. There is no reason that a guy like that, sh- that with his kind of track record, with his kind of stuff, uh, you should expect to be falling off. This is an elite Hall of Fame caliber closer we're talking about. Uh, so under this situation, I have no problem if they reach out and sign Craig Kimbrell. He's – people – I've seen the, the argument out there, well, you already have Neris. You already have these other arms. Well, we saw last night what that amounts to. Uh, yeah, we got Robertson and Hunter and all these other guys injured, sure. But they're injured, and they're not coming back soon. They're going to be – these guys aren't coming back. None of them, I believe, is coming back for another few weeks at best. You know, A couple of them might miss the season. It's still a potential that we might not even see Robertson this year. So all you're doing, if you, if you add a guy like Kimbrell, you plug him in as your closer, you drop Neris back to a lockdown, you know, shut down a setup man. And now you have the eighth and ninth innings, you know, theoretically as lockdown uh, most of your game. So I have no problem at all with going out and getting uh, Craig Kimbrell, especially considering we're in a win. This team is in a win now mode. Uh, you get a guy for three years. Uh, that elite talent level, bring them in. You know, we're trying to win now over the next two, three, four years. 
we have to give up a, the, the 14th or 16th or whatever it is. I think it's the 14th overall draft pick this year to sign him. Give it up. Some kid that might, might help us three or four years from now. I, I really don't have a problem with it, uh, frankly. Make up for it with the interne- with an international signing. Make up for it with uh, some trade down the road, you know, where you bolster your prospects. Do a better job of coaching and developing your kids that are already in the minor leagues. So uh, I really have no problem. Yeah, and the Phillies, as you said, if they're going to be successful, they're in the win-now mode, so to speak, they're going to need a world-class closer. They've always had world-class closers when the team was going well. I don't think there was ever a time they really flourished without one. Um, you just need that caliber of a player to lock down a lid on a game like it was last night. And we're only in late May here, another uh, 10 or so days till June. But the Phillies are in first place. The Cubs are in first place. And we're looking at two teams that probably will be in a playoff picture of some sort uh, if it continues as it has been the last uh, first couple months of the season. But as you said, it would be interesting to see if the Phillies can sign a player like that. Uh, Craig Krimble, I'd I'd love to see him in a Phillies uniform and see uh, how he will do for the team. And uh, we saw Jake Arrieta's first return back to Wrigley uh, on game one of the series here. And that was uh, entertaining. And it was a very warm welcome he received from the Cubs crowd there. Yeah, it was classy of them. And we're going to get another a similar type of event tonight when uh, we see Cole Hamels. He'll be pitching for the first time ever against the Phillies. And that's actually one I wouldn't want to be at because I don't want to root against Cole Hamels, to be frankly uh, frank with you. But I guess we're going to have to tonight. Yeah, I mean... And we have a pitcher on the mound, the Cole versus Cole, as they're billing it. Uh, we had Zach versus Zach the other day in Philadelphia. But uh, this young Cole Irvin for the Phillies, he may have carved himself a starting spot in this rotation. He's looked good his first two starts with the Phillies, has two wins to show for it. And the Phillies have sorely lacked a decent lefty starter in the last couple of seasons at least. And uh, what do you think about Irvin? Does he remind you a little of a younger Cole Hamels? Uh, you know, in some regards, they're two different pitchers, but uh, he's off to a great start. You know, he's throwing a lot of strikes. Uh, his first two starts have both been quality starts. There, there was a little bit of sloppy defense for him his last time out, but he overcame that uh, to win both starts. So uh, he's off to a you know, fantastic start to his career, and we're just going to have to hope that it continues. You know, the the rotation's been looking for a left-hander for quite some time, and they've also had some up and down roller coaster, you know, inconsistent efforts from the back end of that rotation, especially from a guy like Vince Velasquez. So, uh, if Irving keeps doing what he's doing, and the rest of the guys keep doing what they're doing. Uh, Vinny's going to have a hard time getting back into this rotation. And you, you might actually see, uh, while they may send him down, it, hopefully he'll be ready this year. And when they do send him down to get ready to come back, wouldn't surprise me to see, see them bring him back in the bullpen. 
So, uh, you know, there are some options there. And it wouldn't surprise me if they started getting Pavetta ready to come back and uh, try to help out the bullpen. If they can get Pavetta down to maybe just utilizing his two best pitches, he might be able to help the bullpen. So uh, Irvin succeeding over the long haul, you know, continuing this kind of success, showing that he's a true big league pitcher over time as big league coaching staffs and scouting departments adjust to him. Uh, if he can adjust back and if he can uh, continue, that'll be a big shot in the arm for the Phillies. Yeah, and it was uh, amazing to see to get back to Arietta's start uh, against the Cubs. First time he ever faced his old team that he was with a long time, accomplished a lot of things. But he faced a guy who basically replaced him, you Darvish. And you Darvish has been a bust for the Cubs. So it was probably a, a bittersweet moment for him. <laughs> able to tip his cap in a Phillies uniform to the Cubs crowd and say, all right, you know, like, there's what you got. You signed a guy for, uh, I think, six years, $126 million, I believe it was, and uh, so far he's been a big bust for them. But look at Cole Hamels for the Cubs. They got a bargain in him. He's 4-0 with a 3-1-3 ERA, and he was lights out last year for them. He's really... Uh, picked up his game since he's come back to the national league yeah cole you know we saw him here for a decade you know he's a fantastic pitcher so let's just hope he's not on his game tonight yeah it's going to be an interesting one uh there in shy town again always a great place to see a ball game if you get a chance you have to go out and experience it uh a neighborhood is where it's located. Uh, you almost feel like you're driving through a neighborhood in, in any big city. But it really it, it looks small city when you're driving through the neighborhood because there's little houses around on little lots. It's not like uh, condominiums or anything. But there you drive up and you see, wow, there's Wrigley Field there. So it's uh, it's amazing and it's something you want to do. For a couple days, I don't think a single trip to the stadium will get you a, a good feel for it. You'd probably have to do at least two two games there and, and wrap a, a three-day trip around it. But, uh, yeah, Wrigley Field is going to be exciting. And, of course, the series wraps up with a, another game, a 2:20 start, one of their famous afternoon starts. And uh, we'll see how the Phillies do tonight. And tomorrow with the series, a very important series, in my opinion, for the Phillies are facing a, a quality team in the Cubs. So far, they've stood up pretty well to them. Uh, I would have loved to see another victory last night. Of course, we can agonize over it as long as you want, but you'll never get that back. Uh, Angelo Cataldi tweeted out, you know, he wants Kimbrell. Why can't we get him here after the game <laughs> last night? So, of course... There's uh, the punster, so to speak, are saying that uh, Phillies are in uh, competition to sign them. Probably sometime in June, Howard Eskin had just tweeted out not too long ago. So those guys seem to know uh, certain things about players and have a feel for it, Matt. But uh, we have a couple more games left in this series for the Phillies, and hopefully they can at least split it, if not... Uh, take the remaining two games here 
Yeah, every every one of these is important, Rich. Uh, they're in they're in the middle of a really tough stretch now that lasts for about a month. Uh, started with the uh, the homestand where they had to play the Brewers and lost three out of four. Then they swept Colorado, so and they won the first game of the Cubs series. So they were five and three during what I considered a, a really key month for them, where they were playing almost all winning teams. And that's continuing now. And in fact, this Cub series in Wrigley started them on a stretch where they're playing 13 out of 16 on the road. And those series are against the Cubs, the Brewers, the Dodgers, and the Padres, all winning teams, all teams that are right now looking like playoff contenders. Uh, the mm-hmm. Padres have emerged this year just like the Phillies have. And as we all know, Part of that was thanks to their signing of Manny Machado. In between, the only three home games are toughies against the St. Louis Cardinals. So this is a stretch that goes through June 5th. Uh, it's going to last for another you know, couple of weeks where the Phillies have really tough competition. And you can't afford to to give away too many games you know, like they did last night. So... During what I consider a key stretch of the season, they're now five and four. So uh, they're doing okay, you know, but you, you want to try to at least get a split of these last two games in Chicago. So finding a way to get the Hamels tonight would, would clinch, you know, at least getting the split. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. And uh, to address uh, Gabe Kapler's comments about certain pitchers not being available. I was just on the uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia site, and Pat Neshek says that he was available on Monday night to pitch for the Phillies, uh, regardless of what people might have thought about him. And, uh, you know, if he's up warming up in the bullpen, then I would assume he is available, but the call was made not to bring him into the game. And, uh, you know, you can point fingers at, at certain things, uh, games are lost, as you said. You can't win them all, uh, Matt, of course. And uh, the Phillies have a long season to go, but I just hope it's not a harbinger of what's to come with the team. And I wasn't a big fan last year of Kapler coming out, making five moves in a half inning with certain relievers in certain situations. But it seemed like he, he'd love to do it then. Now, all of a sudden, he's very... Um, you know, stick with his guy in air quotes, so to speak, and uh, see what happens. So we'll see what happens tonight in this series, but uh, another game with the Cubs. And then the tough part of the season rolls on. The Phillies in the middle of 35 games playing away from the NL East. It's been sort of a breath of fresh air, though, because the first six weeks of the season, it seemed that we were playing the Nationals every other game, the Mets and the Marlins a few, few times. It seemed like those were the only teams in the league there for the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, they're, you know, as you said, you know, it was the familiarity, you know, uh, factor was really uh, getting getting there. It seems like some years they they don't see their division rivals sometimes, maybe more than a couple series until May, and now this year was. Everybody, you know, in April was uh, an all East opponents almost, except for a couple of series. So um, I think that a big thing is that you don't want them to blow too many opportunities. You know, somebody in this division is going to get hot. 
at some point. And the Phillies haven't won more than four in a row all year. And you don't want, you know, an opportunity. You had an opportunity last night to win a fifth straight. And you need to get on those kind of rolls a couple of times. You need to have a couple of those seven, eight game winning streaks. And uh, they just haven't done it yet so far. So while they've taken the lead in the division, that's more be, been, a, I believe, a product of the, they're the best team right now. But their opponents, their divisional rivals, have had a lot of problems. The Mets have had a ton of injury problems, which it, which is always seems to be a problem with them. There's always some kind of drama going on with the Mets. Uh, the Nationals have also had a ton of injury problems to their position player group. And uh, if those two teams, even the Nats are 10 games under 500 right now. I just think they have too much talent for that to continue over the course of a long season. I'm not counting them out by any stretch, even though right now they have the second worst record in the National League. The Mets are three under 500. I mean, I always look for them to have some kind of a negative drama, and that seems to be becoming the, the case. But they're still only five and a half out, three under 500. The Braves are defending champs. They have a lot of great young talent. And they're sitting there only three games out in the loss column. Uh, they got walked off last night by the Giants. So I think that the Phillies, you know, they're sitting good right now, especially in the division. But they need to be able to put together some kind of a, a little bit of a longer stretch of games where they win. Either seven, eight, you know, nine-game winning streak or one of them stretches where they win 13 out of 15 and get some separation. Because at some point, somebody else from behind them is going to make a, that kind of a move, I believe. Uh, whether it's the Braves or whether the Nationals get it together, somebody's going to make a charge at some point. And it would be helpful if the Phillies didn't blow the three or four or five that they've already blown. Uh, so, you know, we gotta we got to hope that something happens where they, whether it's with the bullpen or, you know, the hitting becomes more consistent. Uh, I saw... I saw someone mention online recently that uh, what happens if, like right now, Hoskins is, has gotten cold. Uh, Harper has been inconsistent. Uh, he's had a couple of great games recently, but he had a long stretch there where he, where he wasn't producing. What happens at some point if Hoskins and Harper both get hot together? I mean, that yeah. would really carry this team for a couple of weeks. And yeah. I believe you're going to see that at some point. So we yeah, really every- need a long stretch here of great, great winning baseball yeah everybody's waiting for that they're waiting for uh every night it seems like there's somebody new picking up for the Phillies. Cesar Hernandez was the other night JT Riamuto hit the home run to tie the game and he's done well for the Phillies and so far there's not been one guy that you could say that is carrying this team at all it's it's very much a team concept when it comes to pitching in but as you said when Hoskins and Harper combine and finally the fireworks go off and the dynamite blows, this this team is going to show more of what it's made of. And that's, as you captured it earlier in perfect words, they're built to win today. If there's never a time that the Phillies are not built to win, you'd have to tell me. But the Phillies have an awesome uh, capability behind them. They have uh, the remaining two games, as we're talking about in Chicago. They go to Milwaukee, 
Then the strange part of the schedule to me, again, they come home for three games the 28th, 29th, and 30th of May. Then they're right back out to the West Coast uh, for a West Coast swing. So a little bit odd in the schedule. I don't remember them coming home for like a three-game homestand and then back out to the West Coast. This year for the Phillies has been a little bit, you know, a, a schedule that I haven't remembered them playing too often recently. Yeah, I think if you look ahead, like if we can get beyond this stretch, it gets a lot more manageable, the schedule. It gets a lot more the kind of thing we're used to. It's normal. I think there's all maybe just one more West Coast swing after this. So this is this is really a key stretch right now, getting out to uh, the, the end of that Padres series on June 5th. Uh, if they can get through that, which is another 49, it's like another dozen games, uh, you know, I hate to see them tread water and just go six and six, but uh, to go six and six or seven and six over these 12 or 13 games, I think that would be a win, frankly. Uh, if they can do better than that, awesome. Uh, you know, it's hard to complain. We, we do a lot of complaining, you know, around here as Phillies fans, but if you really look back at it for almost a month, I'm mean, going back to like April 26th, they're, they're 15 and eight over their last 23 games. And if you just keep going 15 and eight over 23 games, you're going to run away with your division. So I think it's just, it's among those eight losses, there were three or four that made us all pull out our hair, you know, and, and scream at our TV sets. So, um, overall they're doing well, you know, we just have to, you know, just hope they'd, uh, hope that they don't have any, while, like I said, while they haven't had anything more than a four game losing streak, they also haven't had anything more than a three-game losing streak. I think they've only done that once or twice all season. So if during this really tough stretch, um, and they've managed to to fight through it pretty well so far, if they can get through these next couple of weeks still you know, fighting through it, not, mm-hmm. not going into any kind of tailspin, then uh, I think that they're going to be fine after that because you said if you look beyond that, the schedule gets, uh, I think, a lot better for them and it gets a lot more reasonable as far as the opponents and this travel schedule. Yeah, and I would love to see the Phillies do well in Milwaukee. They owe it to them. The Brewers came into town just last week and took three out of four from the Phillies. So uh, let's hope for a win there in Milwaukee. We'll see how they do the rest of the Cubs series. And Matt, why don't you uh, tell the folks where they can find you on the internet? Well, Phillies Nation is always the best, best, easiest place. So if you go to philliesnation.com, um, I'm writing something there pretty much every day. And it's at Phillies Nation is the Twitter feed and the Facebook page. And then you have uh, my own feed on Twitter, which is at Matthew Vizi. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W. And my last name is V-E-A-S-E-Y. So uh, track me down there on Twitter and at the Phillies Nation site. Awesome. And, of course, uh, you can listen to Matt here at Phillies Talk Podcast, the home from com. long-running blog that I started many moons ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, I believe I'm close to being in my 15th season of blogging and podcasting here. <laughs> for, That's a great record, Rich. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it went by fast, obviously, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've had my uh, I've had my own personal site, mattvz.com, going back to 2004 as well. So it's um, that wasn't always baseball, and it wasn't always about the Phillies, but uh, yeah. uh, I, I I know that dedication, you know, to trying to keep something going. Yeah, I'd like to build this as the longest-running independent podcast on the Philly, so I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget, hit your subscribe button wherever you listen from. Uh, we're on a ton of spots now. I've just opened up a ton more on Spotify, uh, just a ton more podcast hosts. So if you're listening to us, please hit the subscribe button. We appreciate it. And if you want to drop me a line, head over to fightinphillies.com. That's without the G. And if you want to send me an email, you can send me at rich at fightinphillies.com. You have a comment about an upcoming subject we should talk about. Don't forget to send us an email. So, Matt, pleasure to talk to you again, and uh, can't wait for the next show. Anytime you like, Rich. My pleasure. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.